Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listener, to this week's podcast episode on spontaneous human combustion. Thanks for stopping by. Before we start into this week's episode, let me take a moment to thank all of you listeners. It's challenging starting a new podcast and trying to find an audience, so thanks very much for all of your likes, follows, and listens. I'm having a lot of fun doing this podcast, and it's made even more gratifying by all of you. In this episode, we're delving into a very strange subject indeed. Spontaneous human combustion, while thankfully rare, is truly disturbing in its unfortunate outcome. We'll talk about what science says about spontaneous human combustion, what skeptics have to say, and then we'll also present actual cases for your consideration. And by the way, if you have visited the Facebook page, you know I post photos that tie to the current episode as much as possible. Well, in this case, those photos are particularly gruesome, and I am not going to be posting them. They are readily found on the Internet by searching spontaneous human combustion. Before we get started, it's probably a good idea to have a working definition as to what exactly spontaneous human combustion is. And we can define it as follows. It is the idea of the combustion of a living or recently deceased human body without any apparent external source of ignition, meaning the individual's body begins to combust or burn on its own apparently without influence or the ability to stop it by the person affected. As we start into this, I have to tell you, it is one of the most unsettling and frightening subjects I've come across. And I hope you do enjoy the episode because we won't be revisiting the subject anytime soon. In 1957, a 67-year-old widow named Mary Reeser was at home in St. Petersburg, Florida. On the morning of July the 2nd, the landlady was making the rounds in her apartment building when she noticed one doorknob was incredibly hot. The tenant, Mary Reeser, did not respond to her calls, so she broke into the apartment with the help of two workmen. Inside, she found Reeser's remains in the middle of a six-foot scorched area of carpet. A chair and an end table in the middle of the scorch mark were upright indicating that there was no activity. Nearby on the floor, a pile of newspapers were untouched by the flames. The body, on the other hand, was reduced to ash, except for a skull and a completely undamaged foot. No other body parts were present. Those gruesome remains sat in a puddle of grease on the floor where Reeser's easy chair used to be. The rest of her apartment or very little evidence of fire. Paranormal enthusiasts see Reeser's death as a classic example of spontaneous human combustion. Skeptics 
point out that the woman was a confirmed smoker who'd taken at least two sleeping tablets that day. Maybe a dropped cigarette was what sealed her doom. But how was it that the rest of Mary's home was not consumed? It takes approximately 1,400 to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit to incinerate a human body, typically the heat used in cremation. However, that temperature does not completely destroy bone. Crematoriums routinely pulverize bone fragments. It takes 3,000 degrees or more to melt bone over several hours. The temperature needed to burn other common material in a home? Well, let's take wood as an example. At about 320 degrees Fahrenheit up to about 500 degrees, wood will start to burn, and you can actually see it change in a way that cannot be reversed. Char marks, cracking, shrinking, etc. And at some point, anywhere above about 390 degrees, the wood will catch fire. So how does a human body combust and leave other areas completely untouched by fire? Fires do not typically start on their own. When investigators search for the cause of forest fires, for example, they don't assume that the flame ignited itself. Rather, they usually suspect that a careless camper or a lightning strike caused it. However, many things can self-ignite without exposure to flames under the right circumstances including coal dust, piles of compost, and used oily rags. Some objects have been scientifically proven to burst into flames without an outside heat source. One example is a pile of oily rags stored together in an open container such as a bucket. As oxygen from the air hits the rags, it can slowly raise their internal temperature high enough to ignite the flammable oil. Wet piles of hay or straw have also been known to spontaneously combust. When they decompose, microbes and bacteria living inside them can generate enough heat to kindle a spark. So if there are other cases of spontaneous combustion, why not humans? In his 1995 book, Ablaze, Larry E. Arnold, a director of Paris Science International, wrote there had been about 200 cited reports of spontaneous human combustion worldwide over a period of about 300 years. However, the first case of spontaneous human combustion on record took place in Milan in the late 1400s, when an Italian knight named Polonus Orstuis allegedly burst into flames in front of his own parents. As with many cases of spontaneous combustion, alcohol was at play as Orstuis consumed two ladles of very strong wine one night, and it disagreed with him. People say he immediately started vomiting flame and then burst into flames entirely. No one else seemed to have any problem with the wine, and people were baffled as to how this could have happened, and they're still baffled today. In one case from the 18th century, spontaneous human combustion was used as a defense in a murder trial. Nicole Millet, the wife of a Parisian innkeeper in 1725, was found after her husband roused the entire inn when he smelled smoke. What was left of her was in the kitchen, almost completely reduced to ash with the wooden utensils around her unburned. Other accounts have her burned on her straw pallet, with the straw only a little damaged. That looks suspicious, and so her husband was tried and found guilty of murder. However, on appeal, he used a spontaneous human combustion defense and was exonerated. 
Nicole's death was found to be due to a visitation of God. In another case from the 18th century, the Countess Cornelia Zangari de Bandi of Cecina suffered a similar fate in the summer of 1745. De Bandi went to bed early, and the next morning the Countess's chambermaid found her in a pile of ashes. Only her partially burned head and stocking-adorned legs remained. Although DeBandy had two candles in the room, the wicks were untouched and intact. She was found halfway between her bed and her window, having apparently calmly risen from her bed to open the window in the middle of the night, but combusted before she could reach the window. Soot covered the room, including some bread on a plate that she had left on a table. Additional combustion events would transpire over the next few hundred years in many areas of the world. Experts and authorities couldn't explain the deaths any other way, and several similarities stuck out among them. First, the fire generally contained itself to the person and their immediate surroundings. Furthermore, it was not uncommon to find burns and smoke damage just above and below the victim's body, but nowhere else. And finally, the torso was typically reduced to complete ash, leaving only the extremities behind. Most recently, cases of spontaneous human combustion have been suspected when police and fire department officials have found burned corpses with unscathed furniture around them. For instance, an Irish coroner ruled that spontaneous combustion caused the 2010 death of 76-year-old Michael Fayette, whose badly burned body was discovered near a fireplace in a room with virtually no fire damage. More on Mr. Fayette later. So, are there similarities between the various cases from the past and more recently that might point to common contributors to these incidences? Yes, there are. First, most victims are chronic alcoholics or at least high consumers of alcohol. They are most often elderly females. Often the victim was known to be a smoker. Almost all involve persons with low mobility due to advanced age or obesity, along with poor health. The hands and feet usually fall off. The fire has caused very little damage to combustible things in contact with the body. And finally, the combustion of the body has left a residue of greasy and fetid ashes, very offensive in odor. Now, to be sure, there are plenty of skeptics as to whether spontaneous human combustion actually exists. Benjamin Radford, science writer and deputy editor of the science magazine Skeptical Inquirer, cast doubt on the plausibility of spontaneous human combustion. Speaking in 1987, he stated, If spontaneous human combustion is a real phenomenon, and not the result of an elderly or infirm person being too close to a flame source, why doesn't it happen more often? There are over 5 billion people in the world today, and yet we don't see reports of people bursting into flame while walking down the street, attending football games, or sipping a coffee at a local Starbucks. In a similar vein, others question why we don't see comparable examples of spontaneous combustion in animals, birds, and other living creatures. If it really can occur in humans, shouldn't it also be possible in other animals? Paranormal researcher Brian Dunning states that spontaneous human combustion stories are simply the rare cases where a natural death in isolation has been followed by a slow combustion from some nearby source of ignition.
Matt Mills, writing in Skeptic magazine, noted several claimed spontaneous human combustion cases involved individuals who all had died of burn-related injuries in incidents that can be rationally explained. He noted, they have sadly been turned distastefully into victims of spontaneous human combustion in horror story myths created by writers who did not care to check facts in order to create their frightening accounts. And finally, Dr. John W. Twible, a forensic scientist and fire investigator, wrote in a 2012 paper on spontaneous human combustion, I have no doubt that the case that I investigated is readily explainable in scientific terms. While we cannot be absolutely certain as to the actual cause of most fires, we do not need to postulate some supernatural effect to explain the ignition or the progress of that fire. And despite its growth in popular culture after being widely covered in the media, in the aforementioned case of Mary Reeser in Florida, the contemporary FBI investigation ruled out the possibility of spontaneous human combustion. A common theory was that she was smoking a cigarette after taking sleeping pills and then fell asleep while still holding the burning cigarette, which could have ignited her gown, ultimately leading to her death. Her daughter-in-law stated, The cigarette dropped to her lap. Her fat was the fuel that kept her burning. The floor was cement and the chair was by itself. There was nothing around her to burn. The validity of spontaneous human combustion is also viewed with skepticism by the scientific community. Scientific theories certainly do have something to add to the conversation. Much of the information contradicting support for spontaneous human combustion are associated with facts about fire. In order for anything to combust, three things are required. First, very high heat. Second, a source of fuel. And third, an oxidizing agent, which is generally the oxygen in the air. The human body is largely composed of water, making it very difficult to burn. Many fires are self-limiting and die out naturally upon running out of fuel, in this case, the fat in a human body. And because fires tend to burn upward as opposed to outward, the sight of a badly burned body in an otherwise untouched room isn't inexplicable. Fires often fail to move horizontally, especially with no wind or air currents to push them. One fire fact that helps explain the lack of damage to the surrounding room is the wick effect, which takes its name from the way a candle relies on inflammable wax material to keep its wick burning. The wick effect illustrates how human bodies can function much like candles. Clothing or hair is the wick and body fat is the flammable substance. As fire burns a human body, internal fat melts and saturates the body's clothes. The continuous supply of fat to the wick keeps the fire burning at astonishingly high temperatures until there's nothing left to burn and the blaze extinguishes. The result is a pile of ashes, much like what is left in cases of alleged spontaneous human combustion. As the fat melted, the body would burn from the inside out, leaving the surroundings intact. But how do the fires start? Scientists have an answer for that, too. They point to the fact that most of those who have died of apparent spontaneous combustion were elderly, alone, and seated or sleeping near an ignition source. Many victims have been discovered near an open fireplace or with a lit cigarette nearby. Typically, deceased victims are found close to a fire source and evidence may suggest many of them accidentally set themselves on fire while smoking or trying to light a flame. A good number were last seen drinking alcohol. 
While the Victorians thought that alcohol, a highly flammable substance, was causing some kind of chemical reaction in the stomach that led to spontaneous combustion, or perhaps calling down the wrath of the Almighty on the sinner's head, the more likely explanation is that many of those who burned may have been unconscious. This, too, would explain why it is so often the elderly who burn. Older people are more likely to suffer a stroke or a heart attack, which might lead them to drop a cigarette or other source of ignition, meaning that the bodies that burned were either incapacitated or already dead. Nearly every reported case of spontaneous human combustion has occurred without witnesses, which is exactly what you would expect if the fires were the result of drunken or sleepy accidents. With nobody else around to stop the fire, the ignition source burns, and the resulting ash looks inexplicable. An extensive two-year research project involving 30 historical cases in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries of alleged spontaneous human combustion was conducted in 1984 by science investigator Joe Nickel and forensic analyst John F. Fisher. Among other things, they found the burned bodies were close to plausible sources for the ignition, like candles, lamps, and fireplaces. There was a correlation between alleged spontaneous human combustion deaths and the victim's intoxication, or other forms of incapacitation, which could conceivably have caused them to be careless and unable to respond properly to an accident. Where the destruction was extensive, additional fuel sources were involved, such as chair stuffing, floor coverings, or the flooring itself. Nearby objects often remained undamaged because fire tends to burn upward, but burns laterally with some difficulty. The fires in question are relatively small, achieving considerable destruction by the wick effect, and relatively nearby objects may not be close enough to catch fire themselves, much as one can closely approach a modest campfire without being burned. British biologist and author Brian Ford has another theory for the source of the strange blazes. In a condition called ketosis, the human body produces small amounts of the flammable substance acetone, a component of nail polish remover. Ford believes that when a person is ill, they may produce enough acetone that a tiny spark, perhaps due to static electricity, could cause the person to catch fire and burn. Professor Ford says spontaneous human combustion burns you like an incendiary bomb, singeing your nerves in mere seconds. It is important to note here, no one has ever conclusively proven or disproven the existence of spontaneous human combustion. Most scientists simply say there are more likely explanations for what happened to those who died in the cases. There are a few alternate theories out there as well. Larry E. Arnold, in his 1995 book, Ablaze, proposed a pseudoscientific new subatomic particle, which he called pyrotron. Arnold also wrote the flammability of a human body could be increased by certain circumstances, like increased alcohol in the blood. He further proposed extreme stress could be the trigger that starts many combustions. In his 1976 book, Fire from Heaven, UK writer Michael Harrison suggests spontaneous human combustion is connected to poltergeist activity because, he argues, the force which activates the poltergeist originates in and is supplied by a human being. Within the concluding summary, Harrison writes, spontaneous human combustion, fatal or non-fatal, belongs to the extensive range of poltergeist phenomenon. 
And Hazel Muir, in her article in New Scientist magazine, discusses John Abramson's suggestion ball lightning could account for spontaneous human combustion. Says Abramson, this is circumstantial only, but the charring of human limbs seen in a number of ball lightning cases are very suggestive that this mechanism may also have occurred where people have had limbs combusted. Okay, so there are the skeptics, including most of the scientific community, but what about those pesky details found in actual cases that are clearly and disturbingly strange? There is something about them that doesn't quite sit right and feels like an unnatural, if rare, occurrence. Let's look at some of those cases. The following stories are factually presented here and well documented in various official government records, news articles, and scholastic reports. They represent documented cases of presumed or possible spontaneous human combustion. I will warn you here, actual cases do tend to be quite disturbing even to those professionals who arrive at the scenes. Retired professor of pathology Mike Green said he had examined one suspected case in his career. He noted, even the most experienced rescue worker or forensic scientist takes a sharp intake of breath when they come across the scene. Seneca, Illinois, 1885. Late at night on Christmas Eve, 1885, in the small farming town of Seneca, Illinois, a woman named Matilda Rooney burst into flames. She was alone in her kitchen when it happened. The fire quickly incinerated her entire body except her feet. The incident also claimed the life of her husband, Patrick, who was found suffocated from the fumes in another room of the house. The tragedy left investigators baffled. There was no reason to suspect foul play. The Roonies had been relaxing and drinking whiskey that evening. A farmhand who had spent a few hours with them hadn't noticed anything out of the ordinary. Furthermore, no source of ignition could be found for the blaze. Although the flames had been intense enough to reduce Matilda Rooney to ashes and a few fragments of bone, they had not spread to the rest of the room. The fire seemed to have started in her body and stayed confined to her body. Cowdersport, Pennsylvania, 1966. Dr. John Irving Bentley, age 92, was last seen alive for December 1966 when friends visiting his home wished him good night at about 9 p.m. The following morning, meter reader Don Gosnell let himself into Bentley's house as he had permission to do this due to Bentley's infirmity and he went to the basement to check the meter. While in the basement, Gosnell noticed a strange smell and a light blue smoke. He explained the smoke to be somewhat sweet, like starting up a new oil-burning central heating system. On the ground was a neat pile of ash, about 35 centimeters in height. The floor underneath the ash was unmarked. Had he looked up, he would have seen a hole about a foot-long square in the floorboards above. Intrigued, he went upstairs to investigate. The bedroom was smoky, and in the bathroom, he found Bentley's cremated remains. All that remained of Dr. Bentley was his lower leg with the slipper still on it and the walker he used to get around. The rest of the doctor was a pile of ash. Despite the doctor burning to a pile of ash, his house was still standing. 
The fire that consumed the doctor neither darkened the tub beside the remains nor melted the rubber tips of his walker that lay nearby. Dublin, Ireland, 1970. Margaret Hogan, an 89-year-old widow who lived alone in a house on Prussia Street, Dublin, Ireland, was found burned almost to the point of complete destruction on March 28, 1970. Plastic flowers on a table in the center of the room had been reduced to liquid, and a television with a melted screen sat 12 feet from the armchair in which the ashen remains were found. Otherwise, the surroundings were almost untouched. Her two feet and both legs from below the knees were undamaged. A small coal fire had been burning in the grate when a neighbor left the house the previous day. However, no connection between this fire and that in which Mrs. Hogan died could be found. An inquest held on 3 April 1970 recorded death by burning with the cause of the fire listed as unknown. Abbevale, South Wales, 1980. Henry Thomas, a 73-year-old man, was found burned to death in the living room of his council house on the Rassau Estate in Abbevale, South Wales, in 1980. Police forensic officers decided the incineration of Thomas was due to the wick effect. On the evening of Saturday, January the 5th, 1980, Henry's next-door neighbor went into his rear garden. There was a foul-smelling smoke issuing from the chimney of Henry's house. He assumed Henry was burning rubbish on his fire grate and thought no more of it. At least until the following morning, Sunday, January 6th, when police were called out to the scene. His entire body was incinerated. There was nothing left of Henry but ashes, his blackened skull, and the lower portions of both legs and feet clad in socks and the bottoms of his trouser legs. Half of the chair in which he had been sitting was also destroyed. The scenes of crime officer said, The ashes lay on a rug and a foam-backed fitted carpet, both of which were only burned where they were in contact with the ashes. The charred portion of the rug and carpet were saturated in melted human fat. I later discovered that the floor under the fitted carpet were thermoplastic tiles. A hot saucepan placed on such tiles will leave a permanent mark on the surface. When the carpet was removed and the floor washed, there was no sign to be found to show that any heat had been applied to those tiles. They were all unblemished. The charring of the carpet extended for only an inch or so beyond the boundary of the ashes. The only inanimate and really flammable object in the room to have actually burned, apart from the charring of the carpet, was the wooden framed easy chair in which the victim had been sitting when he started to burn. This chair was mostly reduced to ash, with the exception of part of the right-hand side of the wooden frame. Part of the fabric cushioning was also unburned. The front edge of the tiled hearth, a few inches from the ashes, was blackened with smoke. The surface was clean and tidy. There was no sign of any coals having fallen from the fire. It had apparently gone out through lack of attention, though there were plenty of unburned coals in the grate. Police Constable John Hamer, a scenes of crime officer for the western half of Gwent, was called in. He later stated, Everyone who attended at that incident either believes it to have been spontaneous human combustion or, in the very least, does not believe it to have resulted from the ordinary processes of combustion. 
He added, During the course of my 24 years in the police up to that point, I had witnessed more than a few truly horrific sights, but this was the first time that I actually felt my hackles rise. Newport, Gwent, Wales, 1980. Annie Gertrude Webb was a spinster, age 75. She was an epileptic and lived alone in Newport, Gwent, Wales. On Sunday, February the 2nd, 1980, she had only returned home a couple of days previously from a short stay in a hospital. Shortly after 9 a.m., a lifelong friend of Annie living nearby was alerted by Annie's next-door neighbor. The neighbor had noticed the windows of Annie's living room were blackened with smoke on the inside, and he was unable to get any response from knocking on the door. He knew Annie had given her friend a key to her house. On entering the ground floor living room, they found the room full of smoke and in total darkness because of the soot-colored window glass. Their nostrils were assailed by a strange foul stench which was overlaid by a strong smell of gas. The room contained a gas fire. The fire switch was later found to be in the on position, yet the fire was unlit and there was no gas escaping from it. The neighbor immediately turned off the gas supply at the main, fearing an explosion. He was unaware that the gas meter, which was coin-operated, had run out. They then opened the kitchen door to let out the gas and to let in some daylight. On examining the scene, they were confronted with the horrific sight of Annie Webb reduced to a pile of ashes, two lower legs, half a bare right arm, and a blackened skull. That the remains were those of Annie was obvious from the plastic hospital name tag still on the wrist of her surviving arm. Just as Henry Thomas's surviving lower legs were clothed in the lower portions of his trouser legs, so Annie Webb's lower legs were clothed in stockings. They were of a substantial nature and somewhat loose on her legs. She was of a slim build. Her stockings were only burned as far as her legs were burned. London, UK, 1982. There is only one contemporary case of human combustion for which there is a witness. In 1982, a mentally handicapped woman named Jean Lucille Jeannie Saffin was sitting with her elderly father at their home in Edmonton in northern London. To her parents' horror, Jeannie's upper body suddenly became enveloped in flames. The stove appeared to be unlit, and no smoke or fire damage could be found anywhere else in the room. Even the wooden chair that she was sitting on at the time was spared. Mr. Saffin and his son-in-law, Donald Carroll, managed to put out the blaze, but after a brief hospital stay, Jeannie tragically died of third-degree burns. Did she combust without warning? Believers think so, but some forensic analysts wonder if an ember from her father's pipe may have ignited Jeannie's clothing. Crown Point, New York, 1986. In 1986, the charred body of 58-year-old retired firefighter George Mott was found in his apartment outside Crown Point, New York. All that was left of him was a leg, a shrunken skull, and pieces of his ribcage. George Mott was a retired fireman that suffered from lung problems and required an air mask and a pump to breathe. On March 26, 1986, his son Kendall visited him after he had not answered repeated phone calls. Kendall found all the windows browned and the interior smoked. 
Inside his bedroom, he found what was left of George. What remained of him were mostly the ashes on the floor beneath the mattress, which his body had apparently burned through. His remains consisted of ash, a few splinters of bone, and a fragment of his skull. The very localized damage suggested that he had died from spontaneous combustion, a situation that has yet to be explained. The damage to his body was similar to that of what is done in a crematorium. The searing heat had melted a television in the room. However, much of the bedding was unscathed. Just a few feet from the bed, a box of wood matches failed to ignite. Air was still pumping from George's air mask. There was no heat or fire damage to the ceilings, which were low. Everything inside the closed refrigerator, however, was melted. A number of plastic objects, wall ornaments, a plastic fly swatter around the apartment were also melted. But investigators could not identify the source of the damage. No gas leaks, accelerants, signs of suicide or foul play. And Mott was not a smoker. Eventually, investigators would rule that the fire was caused by one of two things, a gas leak or an electrical arc that shot out from an outlet onto Mott and set him on fire. However, there was no evidence found to support either claim. Vermont, 1995. Not every person who supposedly caught fire has died. Some people say they've experienced spontaneous human combustion and then lived to tell the tale. One example is Frank Baker, a former Marine who faced death while earning two Purple Hearts in Vietnam, but his scariest moment may have come in June of 1995. Baker was in his home in Vermont when he suddenly burst into flames. We were getting ready for fishing and sitting on the couch, Baker said. His friend, Pete Willey, was sitting next to him when flames suddenly appeared on Baker's body. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen, Willey remembered. Frank was freaking out and making me freak out. Baker started panicking and tried everything to stop his body from being burned. I had no idea what was taking place on my body, none, he said. Baker and Willie somehow put out the flames and got to a doctor. But the diagnosis was as shocking as the sudden flames that engulfed his body. The doctor called and said, Frank, this burned from the inside out, Baker said. Unlike others... Baker lived to tell this tale. Galway, Ireland, 2010. Finally, we come to one of our most recent incidences of spontaneous human combustion. On December 22, 2010, 76-year-old Michael Faherty was found dead in his home in Galway, Ireland. His body had been badly burned. The ceiling space immediately above his body showed burn marks, and so did the floor beneath it. Yet nothing else in Faraday's home was torched. News of his tragic death probably wouldn't have spread beyond the local obituaries if coroner Kieran McLuhan didn't point to spontaneous human combustion as its cause. This fire was thoroughly investigated, McLuhan reported in an official statement, and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate explanation. Local media reported, An inquest in Galway detailed how investigators had been baffled as to the cause of Mr. Faherty's death at his home. Forensic experts found a fire in the fireplace of the sitting room where the badly burnt body was found 
had not been the cause of the blaze that killed Mr. Faraday. The court was told no trace of an accelerant had been found and there had been nothing to suggest foul play. The court further heard Mr. Faraday had been found lying on his back with his head closest to an open fireplace. The fire had been confined to the sitting room. The only damage was to the body, which was totally burnt, the ceiling above him, and the floor beneath him. Dr. McClellan said he had consulted medical textbooks and carried out other research in an attempt to find an explanation. He said Professor Bernard King in his book on forensic pathology had written about spontaneous combustion and noted that such reported cases were almost always near an open fireplace or a chimney. This fire was thoroughly investigated and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion for which there is no adequate explanation, he said. Dr. McClellan's decision that spontaneous human combustion caused the death was a decision that generated its fair share of controversy. Well, we've heard from the skeptics and from the scientific community, which both doubt the existence of spontaneous human combustion or at least the spontaneous part. And we've heard some of the best documented actual cases that might support the existence of this phenomenon. The scientific explanation of the wick effect, it certainly makes sense. It might be something you're willing to accept short of an actual spontaneous combustion occurring inside the body. But then we do have cases where it's hard to not reach or at least entertain that conclusion cases where an external ignition source was not evident. And we didn't even touch on the myriad of cases of people supposedly bursting into flame in public or among family members. Although in my research, many of those cases that had reached legendary status over the years were quickly exposed by investigative reporters to have been merely cases of people externally catching on fire by accident. Maybe in the end it doesn't really matter whether fire starts from a wicking effect or internally. The result is terrifyingly the same. While there's no proof that any human being has ever suddenly spontaneously burst into flames and died, there's also no proof that it hasn't happened. And there certainly are chilling cases suggesting that it might have. Let me know what you think about spontaneous human combustion by leaving a comment on the Facebook page or the website. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Well, if you are familiar with our Facebook page, you'll know that every Tuesday is Quiz Tuesday. We put out a new quiz, and we answer those on the next episode of the podcast. So this week our quiz is, When was the Mothman first seen? Was it 1887? 1959, 1966, or 1971. Again, when was or 1971? And the answer is... 1966. That was the year 
on November 15th that two young couples from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, told police they saw a large gray creature whose eyes glowed red, that's a hallmark of the Mothman, when the car's headlights picked it up. They described it as a large flying man with 10-foot wings, 10-foot wings. The creature followed their car while they were driving in an area outside of town known as the TNT area because it was the site of a former World War II munitions plant. The sightings continued in that general Point Pleasant area until December 15th of 1967. However, if you're familiar with Mothman, you'll know that that was not the end to the sightings. The creature has been sighted many times over the years and in many different locations. There have been sightings across several states. Just recently, there have been a whole slew of sightings in the Chicago area to the point that the creature has now been named the Chicago Mothman. I hope you enjoyed the quiz. And again, let me, let me just throw out a plug for our Facebook page. We do a lot of different content out there. Mondays are always Monster Monday, where our quizzes, as I mentioned, are on Tuesdays. Wednesday, we highlight a paranormal book or film. And Thursday, we try to give you some current, recent news in the paranormal area. And then, of course, Fridays, we drop the current episode for the podcast. So if you haven't been out there, I really encourage you to do that. And if you do me a favor, go ahead and follow it and give us a like if you would. Greatly appreciate it. And thanks to our resident drummer, Chris Wyman, for that awesome drum roll. Thanks, Chris. And by the way, our next episode will be on the Pascagoula UFO abduction from 1973, involving an alleged UFO sighting and alien abduction of two men who claimed they were abducted by aliens while fishing near Pascagoula, Mississippi. You really don't want to miss this one. So I'll see you back here next week. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>